So my question for you, but it really is to the whole church, is have we settled, have you settled, the yardstick by which you're going to measure your life? Have you settled, have we all settled, the yardstick that we're going to use to measure our lives? Well, to help us with this, we have a little uh, fun article from the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. This is a, a contributor, his name is Whelan, and he, he mentioned 10 things that your commencement speaker will probably not tell you, okay? So I'm going to walk you through some of these. 10 things your commencement speaker won't tell you. This is Charles Whelan, Wall Street Journal, a few weeks ago. First one is, your time in fraternity basements was well spent. And that's because... One of the key factors for happiness is relationships. So there you go. <laughs> Again, there's 10 things your commitment speaker won't tell you. Second thing he said was, some of your worst days lie ahead. Ooh. Okay, and he just recalls his own life immediately after college, being penniless and uh, barely eating and trying to scrounge together jobs to make a living. Praise God. Number three, he says, don't make the world worse, all right? I mean, I know we want to set the bar high here, but just whatever you do, don't make the, bar, the, the world worse. And he actually mentions, usually the, the more likely, or the, the kind of the more your degree is an Ivy degree, the more likely you are to mess things up because of cheating, stealing, and making the world miserable. So I don't know if that's a scientific correlation, but just don't make the world worse, all right? Fourth is, marry someone smarter than you, all right? He just shares, hey, the need here is for double income actually helps a lot. So when he was trying to go through school, his wife uh, made the income, and um, that worked out. Praise God. Fifth, please help stop the Little League arms race, all right? If you've noticed, sports have become quite competitive these days, and now kids are traveling here and there, and they're always running around from this thing, and... If your kid's not on the travel soccer team, you're not a failure at parenting, believe it or not. So, calm things down in the Little League field. Sixth thing he said is, read obituaries. Read obituaries, because what you'll find is that people's lives are not usually linear. You know, you're trying to plan out your life and have it go this way and that, but the reality is, lives go this way and that. And you learn that by reading the obits. I'm just, I'm just paraphrasing here. Seven, your parents don't want what's best for you. Okay, they want what's good for you, but often that's safe. So often your parents will keep you from taking risks. Sorry, all the parents who are here being offended now. Um, again, I'm just the messenger. So <clears throat> your parents don't want what's best for you. They just want what's good, so they might not allow you to take risks that maybe you should take. Eight, don't model, model your life after a circus animal. Right? The implication there that it's at work, it's in your work life that you get the peanuts, you get the rewards for performance. But if that's all you're living for, usually your family, your spouse, or your hobbies, those things, your relationships, your friends, those suffer. So don't model your life after a circus animal, just going for the rewards that you get in the work world. Nine, it's all borrowed time. It's all borrowed time. He calls it his bus rule. He says if he gets hit by a bus tomorrow... Is he happy with what he's been doing with his life? Or, he says, the corollary is, if he doesn't get hit by a bus, is the life he's living going to be one he wants to live for the next 20 years? So it's all borrowed time. Number 10, 
Don't try to be great. It's kind of like, just don't make the world worse. But the idea there is greatness, like Steve Jobs' uh, greatness, or um, I don't know, name your favorite hero. That greatness really is such an incredible array of circumstance and luck and all sorts of things that are really beyond your control. Just, just be solid, is actually what he says. Just be solid. You don't have to be great, just be solid. So, at a time like this, at commencement, when we look at lists like these, we do take stock. What is the yardstick by which I'm measuring my life? And I would suggest that Scripture has an awesome yardstick for us to live by. So let's look together at John 12. If you're here and you have a Bible, open with me to John 12. And if not, it is above me. Now, John, Pastor John, introduced us to Mary and Martha last week. We're going to pick up with Mary and Martha, which is a little bit later, and uh, very close to Jesus' death and resurrection, his passion. So we're at John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Bethany is just about two miles away from Jerusalem, a favorite place for him to stop when he was visiting Jerusalem where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When we look at, Lord, what's a good yardstick by which I can measure my life? I'd say Mary here is a great yardstick by which we can measure our lives. And that she was totally, sacrificially extravagant in her relationship to Jesus. Totally, sacrificially extravagant in her love and passion for Jesus Christ. That is a yardstick by which we can measure our lives. Let's just think for a second. Imagine if someone, you know, one of you drove up here with an awesome late model Ferrari, beautiful red, parked it right there in front, came in and said, hey, church, I'm giving this to you guys. You know, about kind of a middle class, upper middle class income, all combined in one year in one vehicle. There it is, right out there. That would be fun. And you know, it wouldn't be just for the pastor, it would be for the whole church, okay, just so it's clear. But I mean, when that kind of giving gets going on in the church, it gets fun. And I don't know if you've been in those kind of experiences, but I've been in certain situations where people will, you know, I remember having a buddy of mine, in one day, uh, someone paid for his college debt, just boom, like that, and there was rejoicing in the church. And when things like that, when people give sacrificially, it gets fun. I totally lost my train of thought. Hold on. <laughs> um, there's a point there. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. So here it is. Now the thing is, so that'd be fun. But just to get a, a better handle on exactly what Mary was doing when she did this, because I'm just trying to give the concept of a year's wages. That's powerful. But the other thing that she was giving, she was not only giving one year's wages, but she was giving probably what was her dowry. Okay, this, uh, this, this uh, nard, this perfume, that's what, among other things, would have been given to her husband when she got married. So she's not only giving a year's worth of wages, but she's giving her whole hopes for her future, banking them all in Jesus in an extravagant display of affection. And that's where I want to sit on a little bit today. That's a yardstick by which you will never be sorry that you measured up against. Just affection for Jesus in an incredible display, banking your hopes and your futures on Him. Now, I want to talk about three spheres of of uh, extravagance, or three areas where um, I invite you to extravagance. And honestly, my thought is, is if, if you've been with us for a year, if you've been with us for four years, then I just hope you're hearing these things over and over again. And it's good for all of us right now to take stock. How am I doing in these areas? Or another way that I would say what I'm about to explain is, when I sit here, and when, um, like Paul in Galatians, he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, here are the ways in which I see us at the harbor and us a part of Antioch, our uh, movement of churches. This is how I see us growing and maturing. This is how I, these are the metrics to use the management or the engineering word, the metrics by which I want to be measuring us, if I can say that. So let's look at these three ways in which we are called to be extravagant. The first is, I want us to be extravagant in our passion and our devotion to the person Jesus. Okay, I'm reading, I'm reading 2 Corinthians right now, so a couple of these examples will come from 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul says in 11 verse 3 of 2 Corinthians. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For the rest of your life, you will wage a war. And that war is going to be, what, is the, what does the world say? Like, what makes a lot of sense? What is the most logical versus what is pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. So man, I hope if you've been with us for a few years, what's growing is your desire to be with Jesus, just to spend time with him, a growing enjoyment of his presence, simply. It's like the other weekend, just last weekend, Kelsey was gone on the women's retreat. And there was just a mini ache in my heart. I just missed her presence because I like having her around. And so when she's gone, there's a little ache. Do you feel the same ache when you are not walking with Jesus? When maybe you've had several days on end where you've not connected with him in the word or in prayer? Do you have that ache? I remember especially feeling it very badly in my years as a teacher. I've shared this before. I love teaching. The hardest thing for me was that we were going by 7.15 in the morning and it just became hard for me to have a robust devotional life during those years. Thankfully, I worked in a high school where every teacher had a little cubby. So I would hide away in my cubby at lunchtime for my 25 minutes and say, Jesus, I just need you. Not every lunch, but a lot of them. Because there was ache in my heart, and that ache in my heart was, Jesus, I just want you, and I need you, and I want to be in your presence because you're the man. Pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. Another way that we can look at this metric of, am I growing in passion for Jesus? Do I enjoy his presence? Is, do you like the word? And I want to say this, do you like the word not just forgetting your deal? You know, all of us come to God, many of us, most of us come to God saying, God, help me. You know, here's my problem. Here's my issue. Here's the comfort that I need. 
But I would say a great sign of maturity is when you finally start to come to the Word because you're saying, God, what do you have for me today? I want, to know, I want to know more about you. What are you thinking about? What are you excited about, God? Not just me and my deal, but what's you and your deal, God? We get a teeny little snippet of this in Psalm 103. And I love it. It's, it's something that just a few years ago I picked up on it because I've meditated on Psalm 103 for years because it's just a great picture of God's character for us and I need to know that every day. But there's a little snippet and it says, God showed his acts to the people of Israel, but he showed his ways to Moses. And a little thing went off in me and I said, ooh, notice the difference here. For the people of Israel, or it's kind of for the crowd, he showed them his acts, right? It was very clear. Here's God. He parted the Red Sea. Now we've got the uh, cloud of fire by day and the, um, uh, sorry, fire by night and the, the, the fire by night, cloud by day. We've got this amazing manifestation of his presence and his acts. But Moses, he invited into a real intimacy. He invited him to know his ways. So that's, is your approach to the word, is it one of, I want to know the ways of God, not merely because of me and my issues, but because I want to know God. God, what are you saying? Is there this deferential response to the word? What are you saying to me, God, today? And lastly, another part of this first metric of growing in passion for him is, are you growing in your capacity and your desire to hear the Lord? We believe that God speaks to you. We know it because you've got the Spirit of God inside you. And uh, actually, a few chapters before this John 12 we've been in, uh, John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. They know me. And that should be something that is growing in you, an ability to hear the Lord. Because listen, I am happy, and I'm not saying this sarcastically one bit. I'm happy to walk through a thousand counseling sessions with anyone. I will, because people have done it to me. People have walked with me over the long haul, through my junk, that's often recurring. And, and um, that's, we'll do that here at the harbor. It's what we do. We stick with people. But can I tell you that me hearing from the Lord one sentence regarding one of my issues is usually worth about 10 of those sessions. Do you know what I'm saying? When you start to hear the Lord for yourself, he brings the healing word. He brings the life that you need. He brings the courage that you need. And again, you don't have to be a huge journaler. You know, I know, for example, Pastor Prickett, John, is a huge journaler. I'm not a journaler like he is, but every once in a while... I say, okay, God, give me something here. I need something to go on as I head into this meeting, as I head into this month, as I head into this year. I need something. What do you got for me? Okay? First metric, first thing, how I want you to be extravagant. I want you to be extravagant by being passionate about Jesus, increasing your devotion to him. That's what should be happening here. And again, hopefully, if you've been here for four years, you've heard this a little bit before. Have you? Yes? Okay, good. It's the make or break, all right? Praise God. Okay, second thing. Second metric, are we growing? And as a church, we are saying we want to be doers here, not just hearers, because as James said, if we only hear this but don't do it, we are deceived. And I'm deceived to the, to the, to the degree that I'm not doing the word, but I'm just hearing it, I'm deceived. The second area is just in holiness. Okay, growing in holiness. Listen to what Paul says, right? Just so you know, this isn't just a Pentecostal hoedown we're having here. Listen to what Paul says about holiness. 2 Corinthians 6. First he quotes from Isaiah. He says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now Paul quotes from 2 Samuel and he says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Listen to God's heart of uh, family for you. 
And then Paul says this. He says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So another metric for us, you take stock. Grads, you take stock. Are we growing in those issues of personal holiness? How's your speech? Is it becoming more encouraging and less sarcastic? At least that's my issue. Is it becoming more life-giving and not death to the people who listen to you? How's it going with your sexuality? You know, this wonderful gift from God. Is it, is it, are you walking in self-control in that area? You know, I love what, um, actually the previous Pope, Pope John Paul, the second, sixth, one of those. And, and got the number? Second, thank you. So he has this great little corpus of work called Theology of the Body. And what he says is, he says, humankind actually looks most like the Godhead in the conjugal embrace. All right? This is the Pope. I think I mentioned it here. But in other words, we, we most look like God when we're in the conjugal embrace because there is such a mystery here of Christ loving the church. Right? That's what Mar- Ephesians 5 talks about. Um, marriage is Christ loving the church. a beautiful mystery. My point is this. The whole world says, and it even happened this week, right? We have our president saying, um, hey, whatever feels good, hey, if that's the way you're attracted, well, then just go that way. That's okay, you know? And that's what the world's saying. It's whatever, whatever floats your boat, you know, is kind of the, is how it's going to be. We get evidence from Scripture here that says that marriage and our sexuality, it's totally holy, it's totally beautiful, and it's so awesome, and it reflects such an amazing truth about um, God that we need to treat it well. So are you growing in those areas of sexual holiness? That's what we want. We want to have you increase there. Not perfection, although Paul encourages us to go towards perfection, but are you moving forward in those areas? We're separate from the world in that way. And I think about our finances. Okay, that's where our culture is also just off the charts with, our, with our, our finances in the sense that we are so used to just getting what we want when we want it. We need to bring back. You know, I think the stats now are that um, this, you know, we, right now we're saving less than we've ever saved. Americans are saving less than ever. And there's something not good about that. You know, we need to learn. How do I manage these finances well? How do I be extravagant in my giving? Am I tithing to the church? Things like that. These are just some of the places where we want to be increasing in holiness. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Okay, so we got, are we growing in passion for Jesus? Again, you're doing the checklist too, even if you're not a graduate. Is that really happening? Am I a doer in this area, not just a hearer? Because otherwise I'm deceived. In the areas where God's calling me to holiness, am I moving forward? Am I growing? You know, am I walking in repentance? Is, am I... Am I um, growing there. And actually, before I move on from that one, I just, I love this one title. Probably the, my favorite teaching that I've ever heard on holiness is by um, the head of Ransomed Heart Ministries, a guy named John Eldridge. He's an author. But just his, the title of his message on holiness is called The Utter Relief of Holiness. I just love that. Because when we're walking in holiness, we are in line with the Spirit of God who lives inside us. We're acting like we should act. You know, but when we're not Guilt, condemnation, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, all that stuff comes on us. Of course, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and we receive his blood for that. But isn't it such a relief when we're walking the way we were meant to in holiness? 
I was so blessed by a brother just last week told me a story. He was um, finishing a grad school course. And the way that the um, professor set it up, he said he gave um, like whatever the instructions were and then he gave the actual exam in an envelope that um, was, was to be brought home. And you weren't to look at that envelope until you're ready to take the exam. Well, as you can imagine, this, this brother cheated. He opened the envelope ahead of time and then um, you know, proceeded to the exam. Handed it in. He was so conscience-stricken that after he handed it in, he called the professor. He had to go through this whole eight to ten-hour period of not being able to hear back from the professor. And he just said, hey, I need you to know, I opened that envelope. I cheated. And the professor said, hey, thank you for telling the truth. Just do this extra assignment for me and be restored. Now listen, in our day and age, it's so easy to not do that, right? It's so easy to cheat, to lie, you know, a little white lie, and not just be moving on in this holiness thing. But I'm so proud of this brother because the thing is, right, he could have gotten away with it, no problem. But the thing that you and I need to realize is God is wanting and I want, to hear, I want you to hear this, especially grads. God is wanting to impart to you increasing amounts of responsibility on this earth and in the kingdom to come. But if we don't have the character to handle it, it, it kind of keeps God's hand back from that blessing. So that's why little things like that. This brother could have gotten away with it. But because he chose not to, because he's wanting to, what, purify himself from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. It's not just for the professor, but out of reverence for God. He got that worked out. And guess what? That frees God's hand to give him in, increased authority and increased you know, joy of, of um, responsibilities that God calls you to. Amen. Third thing, third metric is, so we've got passion for Jesus in your devotional life. We've got holiness. Now this third thing again, I hope you hear it all the time, is um, discipleship. Participating in the Great Commission by being a part of discipleship. Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? 19, what does Jesus say? He says, um, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded to you. And what I want to say to you guys is, no matter what your profession or your personality, you can be a part of that. What a cruel joke it would be if Jesus said, go do this, and by the way, only the extroverts and um, people with divinity degrees can do it, you know? That'd be an awful joke. Thank you, Jesus, for not doing that. You guys, regardless of personality or profession, can be about the Great Commission. Let me talk about personality first. I love hearing the story of, it's in a book on small groups about a failed church planter. He was a science guy. He um, was just, that was his profession. It was science of some sort. And he had tried church planting, but it failed miserably. So he shows up in a church tail dragging between his legs, gosh, what should I do with my life, starts working for a science, you know, some sort of research firm, is sharing with the pastor, hey, I'm a, you know, I tried church planting, didn't work. Well, this church gets behind him and says, all right, well, hey, um, you know, let's empower you to lead uh, some sort of small group in your, in your business, I mean, at, your, at your research company. And this guy just flourishes. All right, he you know, and you can imagine in the, in the science world, there's not a small amount of opposition to things of faith at times. But he launches his little Bible study, you know, lunchtime deal, and that thing flourishes. And he's walking all that God had for him in that. And so it doesn't matter what your profession, okay? When I was teaching, I had, um, I had a couple spheres. I said, okay, God, you've called me to do this great commission. Whether I'm a pastor or not, I'm called to do this. And I had the teachers that knew the Lord, teachers that didn't know the Lord. I had students who knew the Lord, students who didn't know the Lord. 
So teachers who knew the Lord, we got together and we prayed. And that's kind of my investment there, you know. With teachers who didn't know the Lord, I had a couple of them, and I just was conscientious about getting social time with them so that I have an opportunity to share the gospel. Students. Now, this is a hard one. I said, Lord, come into this. You know as an agent of the state, I'm not allowed to proselytize. So, Lord, this is a little tricky. So, Holy Spirit, help me. Same thing. Students who knew the Lord, I could invest in them more freely because we're on the same wavelength, you know. Um, And I had, you know, their parents were really excited that I was around at times. And then with those who didn't know the Lord, just praying, Lord, create open doors, and God creates open doors. It just doesn't matter your profession. You are called to be a part of the Great Commission. Amen? And it doesn't matter your personality. You're called to be a part of it. And on that note, though, I'd say, let's look at Mary again. Mary, she gave up her whole future in this uh, uh, jar, not only the year's wages, but her whole potential future relationally. She gave it up extravagantly to Jesus. And what happened with the fragrance there? That fragrance filled the whole house. And if God is speaking to you about laying down this, that, or the other for the sake of his kingdom, I guarantee the result of that fragrance of you laying down your life, it's going to be awesome. It's going to affect not just you and Jesus, but everyone's going to start to, people around you will be affected by it. And I say that to say, look, we feel here at the harbor, one of the best ways that we can share the gospel is by planting churches. And so I'd encourage you, again, no matter what your profession or personality, you can come alongside with us and plant churches Man, we'd love to have you. Walk with us. And it just means some of you may be called to be a church plant leader. Praise God. We'll train you. We'll release you. Some of you will just be called to do your, not just, but some of you will be called to do your profession with this church plant team, okay? We go to Burlington, Vermont. Let's get you a job there. Work on that team. We send you to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Man, a few more people got excited about that one. All right. (laughs) San Juan, we'll send you, you know? We want to plant a church there. Spain. France, you know, these other places that God's put on our, on, our, on our hearts, right? We want to do this part. We got the haven for the broken. Now we want to start doing this part. We're going to start launching the nations. And listen, not too many people were excited in my family or in my fellow teachers five years ago. And I said, you know what? I feel like God's calling me to lay this thing down and um, do the church plant thing. Uh, not too many people were excited. But I was just responding to God, and I was responding to His invitation. It's got to be His. Don't let it be a man's invitation. But it was God's invitation to me to be extravagant in, in um, my walk with Jesus. And guess what? It's getting fun, right? I think the harbor's getting fun. Praise God. There's a little fragrance going on here. And God's going to invite you to do the same thing. Okay? So, <clears throat> I guess the final thing I'd say on this is, Mary was able to be so extravagant because she had seen Jesus. And, so, and she had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. She, she, it was just a love response where she, um, that we see here. So the last thing I'd want to say is, yes, these are three metrics that you want to grow in. But if it just comes off as a legal yoke on you, then I've, I've done you a disservice. So if you're kind of going through these three metrics and saying, God, how am I doing in these things? And you feel like you're coming up short, well, then what I do is, in my own life, when I feel like I'm coming up short, I just go back to square one and I say, okay, Jesus, give me a fresh revelation of you. I need you. I want to know you as Mary knew you. Mary had a heart response. She could be extravagant in her love for you because she saw the extravagant grace and power of Jesus that had just raised Lazarus from the dead, that had imparted life to her. So when all else fails, you just say, Jesus, share me who you are. I need a fresh revelation of you so I can respond to you in love. Amen?
Amen. We're so thankful for you. And when I look at this crew, I think of ones who have been walking with us for four years. Some of you have been come along more recently. And I'm just thrilled at the gifts um, that you bring. I'm thrilled about uh, where God's bringing you. And I want to see you grow in those three areas. I want to see you be extravagant um, to Jesus in these three places. I'll be happy. <laughs> and I think you will be too. Amen? Amen. So, as we move towards celebrating these grads, I'm just going to, um, let's have the worship team come on up, and um, I'm going to pray, and we're all going to just take stock here um, with the Holy Spirit on how we're doing in these areas. <clears throat> and I'll end with a final word. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that in your mercy you bring us to milestones. And here's a milestone, an obvious milestone for those who are graduating, but let it be a milestone for the whole harbor, all of us walking together. Holy Spirit, show us in these three areas which ones need the most shoring up, which one needs the most attention, where our devotional life is non-existent or uninspired, Holy Spirit, please, let us become men and women who love the house of prayer and who love your word and who love getting away with you and who love your presence. Lord, where we are taken, uh, washed away by the culture in terms of a lot of our standards for holiness, Father, let us get in tune again with the audience of one to whom we will give an account And God, have mercy on my soul. And God, have mercy on the souls of these folks here. And Lord, inspire us again to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body, soul, and spirit. Perfect holiness out of reverence for God. We can. Paul wouldn't say it if it was just a joke. But we can. And finally, Lord, where we are not attuned to the incredible privilege it is to be a part of your purposes and discipleship, Lord, show us, help us, you know, where the rubber needs to meet the road. Help us. And my, my prayer for every single person in this room is that A, they'd have someone more mature in them, investing in them, and that B, they'd have someone that they're investing in. So they can be a part of this unbroken chain that's been going on since Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago of life on life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you didn't just give us some packaged programs to, de- to do, but the way this kingdom is expanding is life on life. We love that. I pray, God, help us to be, show us what it means. Each person in this room, show, show each one what it means to be a part of that life-on-life flow of discipleship so that all sorts of people can be taught how to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. So Holy Spirit, we just let you take stock. And let the end result be that we all have a heart of Mary being willing to give up sacrificially, whatever it is, so that Jesus gets pleasure so that Jesus gets glory. We'll never regret that. If that's our yardstick, we'll never regret measuring our lives against a yardstick of extravagance to Jesus. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite John up. And I'll just end with this final picture. Um, uh, you know, in, in Corinthians, Paul uses a couple different passages. He paints a picture that's much like this. And that is that at the end of our lives, we'll be before the throne of grace. And um, there'll be kind of a pile. And there'll be precious stones and 
gold and jewels and there'll be wood and hay and stubble and Jesus is going to figuratively flick the match to our lives and all this wood, hay and stubble will burn. But that which was motivated out of faith and hope and love, that which we did unto him, that's going to be what remains. That's the yardstick we want to measure by. Amen? Amen.